Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Uh, this week, the big news, Ross, was uh, Salesforce acquiring Slack, so just under $28 billion, one of the uh, largest acquisitions in the space. It looked like, though, that the uh, the news really was kind of mixed. The market was was mixed on this news. Um, and uh, I think there's still a lot of debate of whether this was a, a good acquisition or not. Sh- certainly shows that uh, Salesforce is not going to be hesitant to uh, to make the big acquisitions. And uh, certainly uh, looks like they've been wanting to be in this social space uh, uh, somewhat. It, it offsets uh, you know, what they were doing with the core Salesforce functionality. Uh, what's your read here, Ross? I think there's a couple of things, you know, as you say, Sean, they, they haven't been shy about pulling out the checkbook when, when they feel it's warranted. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of an acquisition they made a few years ago uh, in kind of this productivity space, uh, an app called Quip, uh, which was kind of an emerging Microsoft Office, Google Docs uh, kind of uh, productivity application, document creation app. It certainly never reached the level of popularity of Slack. Uh, and you can see how Slack uh, could, could tie into the kinds of discussions that, for example, sales teams might be having with customer service reps or, or marketing reps, uh, getting everyone on the same page to discuss client issues, which of course, is at the heart of, uh, of what Salesforce does. Uh, at the same time, you know, this was a company that was starting to struggle uh, in terms of uh, competing with Microsoft and Teams, uh, which has just seen incredible momentum uh, over the past few years. And uh, also there's been a bit of, um, uh, maybe a bit of a, a fall off uh, in terms of the pandemic on one hand, it has uh, led to folks uh, needing to stay in touch more than ever, uh, but more of that seems to have migrated to real-time kinds of communication over Zoom uh, to substitute for that in-person uh, communication versus Slack, which is you know asynchronous. It's it's uh, chat-based, and you know let me let let's exchange some ideas, and then kind of the the real work, so to speak, uh, takes place in Zoom. You know, which is the pandemic equivalent of of a meeting. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's a, definitely a a high price to pay for what Slack was. Slack reported their Q three revenue of uh, just over two hundred thirty million. Now that's up uh, close to forty percent year over year. They added twelve thousand net new paid customers, but it's a a small fraction, of course, of the the Salesforce revenue, which was. 5.4 billion, uh, and, and that was also up 20% year over year. Um, are, are we done seeing acquisitions in this space? What do you th- what do you think the future of enterprise communications looks like? Well, I, I think it raises the question of you know, given given the purchase price. I mean, yes, you know, as uh, as I said before, very extremely popular uh, app, uh, but. Um, you know, certain, certainly a lot of market attention, uh, but um, uh, it, it makes you wonder who else might have been in the mix uh, to potentially acquire Slack and uh, Microsoft likely was not, you know, they're, they're short up on that sense. Uh, but I wouldn't have been surprised if, for example, Google 
uh, was in the mix. Uh, Slack would have been a very good complement to uh, G Suite or Google Workplace as they're now calling it. And uh, Google is, is definitely making a far stronger push uh, in the enterprise uh, with, uh, with those tools. So, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were probably one, one of the suitors as well. I would be surprised if they were not. The, the thing is in terms of the core functionality there, there really isn't much that's magical uh, about Slack. You know, that's why Google, uh, Microsoft was able to build such a strong competitor. Uh, there have probably been at least half a dozen other tools that offer similar functionality that most people have never heard of. So uh, could Salesforce have built their own or acquired a, a lesser known competitor at a much deeper discount? I'm, I'm sure they could have. Uh, I, I guess a lot of it was the user base uh, that, you know, and, and probably some analysis of, of what the crossover was there uh, that, that led them to, uh, to pay the premium. Yeah, it it definitely likely allows um, Salesforce to have a play a different role in these organizations where Salesforce was primarily probably tied up with the, the sales component of an organization. Yeah, more and more externally focused versus Slack, which is more internally focused. Yeah. Yeah. It will be interesting. I mean, definitely Salesforce ha relies on aggregating data and, and organizing data. And so it will be interesting to see if they take advantage of all of the, the data that exists in a, a Slack environment and if there's a way to do that. I think w one of the things that companies are really struggling with now is how to manage a distributed workforce and how, how do we manage a workforce that's working remotely. Not just how do we make them productive, which Slack might be able to do along with, as, as you noted, Zoom and Salesforce and other things, but but how do we how do we ensure that they're being productive? How do we how do we measure and monitor that productivity? And arguably Salesforce does a pretty good job of that. I mean, if you you can see who's hitting their numbers on your sales team, if they are failing then uh, you know they, that person is uh, shown the door and their accounts are handed over to a, another sales associate with all the history that's, that's there intact. So it, it does give the, uh, the corporation arguably an, an upper hand. It is less about the individual sales reps Rolodex and, uh, and they centralize all of that information in, in some ways. And you could see how companies could easily create, for example, channels about major accounts and then, you know, roll those conversation threads into Salesforce. So anyone doing research on the account knows what the, you know, can get quickly up to speed. Uh, in terms of the competition, though, it's really been striking how much Microsoft is investing in Teams. Uh, in mm -hmm. some ways, it almost feels like the new Windows. They're, they're building this whole ecosystem around it. They're building no-code environments around it, databases around it, uh, all these integrations. And uh, it's, it's really emerged as a client hub for so many things they want to do moving forward. So uh, as I mentioned before, kind of the core functionality is you know, nothing uh, very special, but, but the strategic importance that these tools can play uh, in, in an ecosystem for businesses uh, when properly cared for as, as Microsoft is, is doing uh, has a lot of potential. Yeah. And, and I think Microsoft also has ambitions beyond just corporations when it comes to teams, because you see them 
using it and, and promoting it among school districts, for example. So sure. it, can, it can be the platform for virtual classrooms and asynchronous learning uh, to some extent. Um, and that I think is equally important area for Microsoft because Google has done such a good job with Google Classrooms of, of really being influential in that space. And so uh, I think you're going to see, you know, some, some competition there with respect to organizations outside of, of corporate America and, and, and corporate. Oh, yeah. They've, they've been talking about teams for education for years. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an area that they're, you know, you'll, you'll see greater emphasis on. And it, it's an interesting area too, where, you know, does Slack move into some of these adjacencies? It's definitely not in Salesforce's uh, core target market. They're definitely very, very uh, focused on corporations and organizations where, where sales is a, a large component. So fundraising or other things like that. Um, I, I think you raise a really good point is, does it help organizations surface information within the organization about particular customers and clients? And does it help them resolve issues and, and understand problems so that they can better service these accounts? Uh, so that could be really interesting if they're able to kind of incorporate Mind that. that. Yeah. 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 You know, if, if you are, if you're in charge of a certain number of accounts, can, are, are you getting notifications when those accounts are, are talked about in the organization? And then can you follow up on those conversations to find out what's happening? So there's, you know, some interesting opportunities that probably exist there. Uh, as well. And to your point, keeping Slack out of the hands of some of their competitors that might want to move into that, uh, into those spaces is probably also something that's going on. Something I think we see, uh, we see more often, uh, for example, in, in other news this week, we saw that Amazon is in what appears to be exclusive talks to buy uh, Wonderly, which is a uh, podcast network and uh, others have been rumored to be in conversations with them earlier in the, the year, including um, Apple and Sony. So, uh, you know, podcasts have become a very important uh, uh, arena uh, of competition lately. We know that uh, Spotify made major acquisitions in that space in uh, 2019. And now it looks like Amazon is, is in the hunt as well. Uh, Wonderly was looking for a valuation of somewhere between 300 and 400 million, which would make it to the largest acquisition in this space. If they, if they're able to bring that amount in from, from Amazon. And I think it is, it is important for Amazon because you look at how uh, podcasts have changed over time. Uh, one, we're seeing more exclusive deals. And we saw, of course, Spotify sign uh, Joe Rogan to, to an exclusive deal. But also with less commuting and presuming uh, presumable less commuting time into 2021, we're going to be listening to more of these podcasts on our devices, which might be why an Apple would be interested, or, uh, or our Echo devices, which is why Amazon might be interested. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't be surprised again here to see Google in the mix as they think about how do we build out more content for our connected uh, digital agents as well. Yeah, and uh, Amazon, uh, I'm sorry, Spotify uh, recently announcing that uh, the anchor acquisition that they made last year and that uh, you know we talked about uh, here on the podcast is now 
driving over a million uh, podcasts for them out of the 1.9 million that they host. Uh, and that is a mind numbing number. Uh, and it's a, uh, the thing is though, it's, uh, it's of course a very long tail. And uh, I, I guess it's kind of a portfolio kind of approach and, you know, or, or maybe, maybe it's like a YouTube approach, right? Where there's a, <clears throat> an audience, even if there's a small one for, uh, for a lot of niches, um, but there really hasn't, and, and, you know, at least in theory, there's uh, Anchor's model is very YouTube-like in that it's a revenue sharing model. So if you opt in to get the ads, uh, there's a chance that you could, uh, you know, make, make some money uh, on, on the proposition if you can grow the audience. So the question is, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about YouTube's algorithm for promoting content. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of discussion, at least yet, about Anchor's slash Spotify's uh, algorithm for promoting content. Uh, but, um, you know, perhaps that's something that gets more attention uh, if, if Spotify can build stars out of Anchor as, as opposed to just buying, you know, or already established podcasts. And I think you're going to have to see these exclusive deals. I mean, one of the things that's unique to a Netflix or to a YouTube is that that's the only place you can watch content. If you want right. to watch a YouTube show, you have to go to YouTube. If you want to watch a, a Netflix exclusive, you have to go to Netflix. Uh, right now, for the most part, that's not the case with podcasts. I can listen to a, an anchor-sourced podcast on Spotify, or I can listen to it through uh, you know, Apple, iTunes. I can li listen through it to a variety of different other uh, podcast platforms. This podcast, for example, Textmansive, uh, we use Anchor and have for, for, for the Pretty much entire since the time. Beginning. Since yeah. the beginning, right? It's a seamless, wonderful uh, platform and, and process for us. But we, uh, we're not exclusive to Spotify. We're across all of the, um, the platforms. And if you look at our data, uh, the majority of our, our listeners are actually listening through the Apple podcast uh, platform. So uh, I, I think, you know, what they'll have to do is create exclusives, which ultimately will reside in only their platform. Spotify is, is moving then in that direction. I think you're going to see Amazon and others move in that direction as well to try to keep them uh, exclusive. So uh, Apple or, or Amazon, if you're listening right now, we are not exclusive, but we're open to that. <laughs> we're open idea. for business. Yeah, we're yeah. open. So if, if we can agree on something in the range of wonder, wondery, we would be happy to take that call. Uh, in other kind of Amazon related news, we just concluded Black Friday and the Cyber Monday, which kind of has morphed over the years to be Black Friday week and Black, you know, Cyber Cyber Monday week. Um, and uh, it was, by all accounts, uh, another really st strong selling weekend. Amazon said it was their best holiday shopping season ever, the biggest ever, and that independent sellers hit $4.8 billion in worldwide sales over the weekend. That's up 60% from last year. Uh, Adobe said that Cyber Monday online sales in the U.S. came in at 15% increase over last year, uh, $10.8 billion. 37% of those sales were made on the smartphone. They said Thanksgiving was up 21%. 
uh, and 47% of those sales were made via the, the smartphone. So we saw strong growth as expected, uh, not only because that's been the trend, but also because of the pandemic, strong growth in, in online sales. And Sean, you, you were saying earlier that the volumes were so overwhelming from some retailers that UPS, uh, you know, there's been some coverage about how UPS had to throttle uh, some of the package pickups that major retailers such as uh, Gap and, and Newegg and L.L. Bean. Yeah, we saw, we saw that uh, UPS has, has uh, throttled the shipping by telling drivers not to pick up from certain locations until uh, greater capacity becomes available. At the same time, we saw news this week that FedEx has agreed to acquire ShopRunner. So ShopRunner is an, an e-commerce service that allows well over 100 brands to uh, offer two-day shipping and, and free returns. And so, uh, you know, it's an interesting acquisition for FedEx, given that they, they severed ties with Amazon last year. But ties were severed. I, I don't were, know if FedEx did the severing, severing. but... Yeah. Um, probably by, by mutual agreement or the, or FedEx at least saw the writing on the walls for, for that. Right. And, and for a long time, Amazon has been building out their own network of drivers and of transportation logistics and and has long been focused not only on the last mile, but also on the, you know, second to last mile and the third to last mile, like they've been building out every piece of that, that transportation network. And arguably it helped them weather the pandemic quite well because they were able to rely on their own network of of drivers and trucks, vehicles, planes, all of these uh, things that they're needed. Uh, one of the things that Amazon does great, of course, is offer free shipping to Prime members and, and Shop Runner competes with that or allows other brands to compete with that. And at the same time, uh, if you're able to get that two-day shipping and, and free returns it allows some of these smaller brands to compete with Amazon. So it's a really interesting acquisition for FedEx. Yeah, I, um, at, at some point it was really interesting. I, I, some retailer that I suppose I had ordered something from at some point offered me shop runner service for free, uh, um, maybe for a year or, or some very extended trial. Uh, it never really seemed to go away. So uh, it's of course getting uh, more difficult to compete uh, with the bundle of services Amazon offers for Prime, uh, which have gone light years beyond uh, free two day or even one day shipping. And of course, Walmart is now trying to figure out an approach to that uh, with uh, Walmart Plus. So the question becomes, what does everybody else do? And and that's what ShopRunner really was. Uh, and if, it, uh, if, if the company was having a hard time getting, de- getting fees for that core service, uh, a company like FedEx can perhaps monetize it better by offering it at a discount for free, but giving FedEx preferential treatment on the shipment uh, of those packages or perhaps a better deal to the retailers uh, associated, uh, ShopRunner customers, uh, retail customers uh, for uh, for using FedEx versus versus uh, UPS or other carriers. Yeah, and it, so it'll be interesting to see if FedEx builds out some of their capacity for handling the type of orders that might be going through some of these uh, these small retailers. But I think it does um, 
you, you know, it's, it's these brands constantly trying to get on even footing with Amazon while Amazon continues to, to sprint ahead of, of many of them. And, uh, and to your point, it's very difficult to compete with some of that instant gratification that then Amazon delivers. And so FedEx here through ShopRunner might be able to provide some of that same service to, uh, to some other brands. And to your point, I think it's important to recognize that there may be other ways for FedEx to monetize this. And maybe they do it by uh, throttling those who aren't ShopRunner uh, customers. I and mean, that's, you, you see, this is the, the first time we've seen UPS throttle uh, some of their customers. And, uh, you know, we're at, a, we're at a crucial time in the shopping season. So this could be something that uh, you see moving forward where it is really a, a pay to play model um, in, in order to get access to some of those service quality assurance metrics and, and, and uh, levels of quality. And so we'll see what, uh, what comes from this. Probably a good place to end this week's episode. And uh, we thank everyone for joining this week's episode of, of Techspansive. We encourage you to tune in to next week's episode. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. <laughs>